Greetings and welcome to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in Our Modern World. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship. This installment, Reflections on the Spiritual Power of Nonviolence, Part 1 of 3, features excerpts from a 2013 interview on Indianapolis radio station WICR for the program Journey's Fire with host Richard Brendan discussing with Reverend George Wolfe his book, The Spiritual Power of Nonviolence. Here is the first portion of that interview. Uh, I want to start off where you started in the introduction. You started in the last days of April 1992 um, with all the events taking place in the state of California because at that time you were living in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. And I'd like for you to just share what you were witnessing on the TV that so many people were doing, but what effect that had on you at that time. Well, I guess I I noticed the contrast um See, I, I had uh, just gotten back from India, and mm. while I was in India, I was there to study Hindustani music, uh, but I also got very interested in, in Gandhi uh, and his philosophy. And in some of the sightseeing I did, I went around to see uh, places where Gandhi had been and, and his cremation site and so forth. So I had been thinking about uh, you know, the uh, history of uh, nonviolence in America, and... and uh, and I was seeing on television here these two uh, great contrasts that were uh, unfolding mm-hmm. uh, in in the uh, way of calling public attention to the uh, uh, injustice of the Rodney King beating. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, on one end there was this uh, tremendous violence and chaos in Los Angeles. On the other side there was this uh, very <clears throat> disciplined uh uh, a protest on the uh, on the Bay Bridge uh, in in uh, San Francisco, Oakland Bay Bridge, and uh, I, it just struck me how, uh, when it came to news coverage, when it came to the impact, uh, uh, immediate impact of what was going on, that the the uh, uh, peaceful protest, the disciplined protest that was going on on the on the uh, Oakland Bay Bridge, received much more coverage um, than than the um, what was going on in Los Angeles, simply because it was dangerous for the reporters to be there in Los Angeles. And the other thing that struck me is that uh, prior to that, there had been this uh, earthquake in Northern California, and the uh, you know the human inflicted damage, mm-hmm. both in terms of uh, human life, loss of human life, and uh, um, damage to property, was far greater uh, in Los Angeles than uh, the natural uh, event up north in uh, in California. So I just saw that that sort of that sort of uh, paradoxical uh, experience uh, sort of uh, had a deep impression on me and clung with me and if you could when you when you uh, uh, reading my book you'll see that there's a lot of uh, 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 um, emphasis or uh, explanation uh, which is centered around paradox in the way we need to think about activism and about peace studies Uh, that I bring out in in my book. Yes. I've always believed that if we're going to try to find the answers, we need to be courageous enough to ask the questions. The events that you were witnessing cause you to ponder two pressing questions. The first one, how can we convince people the world over to renounce violence and use honorable nonviolent strategies to express their anger toward what they perceive as unjust? And number two, what role should religion be playing in today's world to make it possible for our children 
to inherit a future without war? And actually, those two questions really serve as a framework for your book, then. That's right. That's right. And uh, <clears throat> um, I guess you could say my book is a meditation on those two questions. Yeah, and absolutely. I take it, I look at the uh, very complex issue of peace from an interfaith perspective. I think one of the problems with uh, uh, I, uh, peace, the idea of peace, the concept of peace, is that people have a too simplistic a notion about it. Uh, they have a lot of misunderstanding about what peace is. Mm-hmm. I know peace is not a static condition. Peace is, is a dynamic unfolding process, and it's something that needs to be cultured, that, that uh, needs to be worked at, that um, needs to be maintained. Uh, and peace studies uh, and the history of, uh, of uh, nonviolence, particularly in America, and America has this very proud history of nonviolence that goes all the way back to the colonial times, which people uh, generally forget about. Um, uh, that uh, is, is, a, is a way to understand how activism and how peace is really a process that has to unfold it's not just some sort of static condition that happens to appear now and then. Well, absolutely. And when you mention the word religion, I think it's important for you to make a distinction between spirituality and religion, because for many people, religion has this dark side to it. Yeah, well, I, I talk about that in the first chapter, actually. My first chapter, which is called Apocalypse, doesn't, does not mean war. Uh, I, I talk about the difference between uh, spirituality and, and religion and uh, how really... Nonviolence helps to get us at the heart, to the heart of what spirituality is, because it, it involves it involves uh, uh, invoking within us mm-hmm. patience and love and compassion, and it also in, involves the uh, reflective process of, of of not acting on our anger, but rather allowing that negative energy which generates anger within us yeah. uh, to be to be give it time for it to transform itself into a positive energy. And uh, Mahatma Gandhi called this process tapasya, and it's mm-hmm. very much like meditation. In fact, it is, it, it is a form of meditation. Uh, when you're uh, in a state of conflict and you're gripped by anger, that's the time when you don't want to act, because oftentimes when you act, you'll, you'll make the conflict worse. You'll make mistakes, you'll have to apologize, and so forth. You see that happening a lot in we see that happening a lot to politicians, actually. Oh yes. <laughs> but but it, most of it, most people have been in the experience, been in the conflict, and they've acted on their anger. They they realize that it uh, it was not uh, the, the constructive thing to do, and actually inflamed the conflict rather than helped it. But if we just give time and reflect on the anger, now, Gandhi, it's important. Gandhi didn't mean that we repress anger. He didn't mean that we deny it. Mm-hmm. He meant actually that we reflect on it and think deeply about it and mm-hmm. give time for that negative energy, which is really, really a good energy. Uh, it's a negative energy, but it, it, it will transform itself into a positive direction. And that's the process of tapasya, allowing that to happen. And the result of that will be an epiphany, an epiphany which will, which will bring to mind uh, constructive ways of dealing with the conflict so that actually both sides will see the advantage of I remember years ago when I stumbled upon the fact that the golden rule, which I was taught, and even as a minister in my past, teaching was actually found in various variations in all the sacred uh, literature and all the religions. Yeah, that's right. And I, uh, I, again, in the introduction, I have this section called uh, The Good Samaritan is Activist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I look at the Good Samaritan from a perspective of, a, of peace activism and how uh, the Samaritans and the uh, Jewish community in Jerusalem were, were uh, 
really had quite a hostile relationship between one another. And that uh, Jesus also had put the, uh, taken the golden rule and reformed it and placed it in the positive, expressed it in the positive. Uh, in, in, the, um, in, in many traditions, it's expressed in the negative. Yes. It says, you know, do not do to others what you would not have them do unto you. Or as, as Rabbi Hillel expressed it, you know, what is hateful to yourself, do not do to others. Uh, this is the whole Torah. And uh, Jesus took that and, and, and in a parallel way, uh, stated Rabbi Hillel's version of the Golden Rule, but put it in the positive. And uh, that seems to connect well with the Good Samaritan, because the Good Samaritan actually, uh, he, he acted. He didn't uh, refrain from acting, or he didn't do not do. He acted. And uh, I think Jesus was also saying, this is one way to, uh, to start reconciliation. This is one way to heal this uh, uh, conflict between the uh, Jews in the Jerusalem community and the Samaritans, and w- which really were involved in a schism. And it was kind of a silly schism. I mean, they were arguing about which mountain you should worship on and so forth. Um, and, and, and when Jesus met the uh, woman at the well, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, and had that dialogue with her, which if you remember, it's in the Gospel of John. Yes. Uh, uh, she, she says to him, you say, you know, she recognizes that he's a Jew from Jerusalem, and she says to him, you say we should worship in Jerusalem, uh, but we worship here, uh, which is on Mount Gerizim rather than Mount Zion. And uh, then Jesus replies, the day is coming when uh, it, it, you, you won't be worshiping in Jerusalem or here. Uh, the day is coming when, and now is when, the true worshipers of God worship him in spirit and in truth. And basically he was saying, you know, this, this is kind of a silly thing to argue about geographical location of where you should worship, you know. I think he was, uh, that in conjunction with the Good Samaritan parable is really uh, trying to uh, show a means through which reconciliation between these uh, groups can really start to take place. You alluded to the first chapter, which is called Apocalypse Does Not Mean War. And I tell you, what I've certainly learned, and probably many of our listeners, that there is a danger in holding on to our dogma. And I would even add into our old-school dualistic way of thinking, the good versus evil and light versus darkness. Right. That's, a, that's a, exactly right. And I think uh, a, a lot of it comes from a misinterpretation uh, of, uh, of uh, ancient uh, scripture and of passages uh, in the Bible, which use uh, terms, uh, ancient terms, that uh, the meaning of which has kind of changed over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, take, for example, the word apocalypse. It, it comes from the Greek word apocalypse, which actually means uh, uncovering, as if to remove a veil. Uh, the, the association of, of uh, calamity and war and so forth with apocalypse is, uh, is something which is not inherent to the, uh, to the word. And I began to look at this and realize that that the the the, the uh, association of uh, fire and uh, lightning and earthquakes and so forth with apocalypse those are really meant to be metaphors. Uh, fire was an ancient um, metaphor for transformation. If you if you uh, are familiar with the um, uh, five elements of the ancient world, mm-hmm. earth, earth, um, um, water, uh, fire, air, and space. Uh, the fire is the transforming element. If you subject something to fire, it changes its form. And if you'll note that most, in, in many of the religious traditions, fire is associated with spirit. 
it's the uh, it's the spiritual fire which transforms a person within, and that's why you had the fire, the tongues of fire descending on the apostles at the apocalypse, or I mean at uh, sorry, descending on the uh, the apostles at Pentecost, and uh, in the book of um, Malachi it talks about uh, the um, the Messiah will purify the sons of Levi like a refiner's fire. Mm-hmm. And Moses saw the burning bush. You see, these are these are metaphors for uh, spiritual transformation from within. Um, and the same thing is true with, um, uh, well, the word veil, for example, is, is used in the uh, book of Isaiah, where um, the prophet says, um, uh, and the Lord will destroy on this mountain the covering that's cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. Paul uses the veil metaphor. Um, the Hindus talk about the veil of Maya, which is uh, has to be lifted in order for our ignorance to be uh, to be destroyed. Apocalypse really is more accurate to, to say it ref- it's referring more to a paradigm shift in the way we perceive reality and the way we perceive the universe and the way we perceive our relationship to the universe yes. and in the way we perceive our relationship to the environment and how important it is now. We see this shift from mm-hmm. exploitation to sustain- sustainability. Mm-hmm. These are all paradigm shifts, which uh, is really what the, the word apocalypse is, is getting at. Thank you for listening to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in Our Modern World. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship and is supported by our community. We thank you, our listeners and followers, for your support. To connect with Converging Streams, including listening to our entire catalog of past programs, getting our latest new content, and making your own contribution to this program, visit our website, convergingstreams.org. Converging Streams is produced by Tony Piazza and George Wolfe. Thank you for listening and have a pleasant week.